Hello, I'm Ray Reich, founder and CEO of RevOps Squared, and your host of the Metrics That Measure Up podcast. We talk to a wide variety of B2B, SaaS, and cloud thought leaders, executives, investors, and people just like you to discuss the metrics and benchmarks they use to make metrics-informed decisions. Now on to today's show. Welcome to today's episode of the Metrics That Measure Up podcast. Today, I feel so fortunate we're joined by Lauren Kelly, founder and CEO of OPEX Engine. Today, we'll be covering three main areas with Lauren. First, the insights that benchmarking provides go-to-market and senior operating executives, the benchmark trends in the B2B SaaS and cloud industry, and the untapped potential of using benchmarks for better metrics-informed, data-driven decisions. Lauren, please take a moment to give a brief background overview of your journey to becoming a guest on the Metrics That Measure Up podcast. Thanks, Ray. Really appreciate the chance to be here and speak with your audience. I love the podcast that you're doing, and I love the people that you've been bringing on. So I'm a big fan of the program. And thanks for inviting me. This is a particularly interesting week for me to be doing the podcast because we just announced that my company, Opix Engine, was acquired by Bain & Company. I founded Opix Engine almost 15 years ago, if you can imagine that, and have bootstrapped it and built it up to what seems to be the leading benchmarking platform for software and SaaS companies. And I came to this because I'd spent about 20 years before that in software and tech management and before that as an international economist with the U.S. Department of Commerce, the International Trade Administration, and and working with supercomputer industry and, and doing trade negotiations. And it just seemed crazy to me after such a long time in the software industry and then also spending some time as an executive in residence with a venture firm, SoftBank, just before I started OpEx Engine, that our industry of all the industries out there had very little contextual information, didn't have benchmarks. Everything we did was based on our own internal data. And I think, you know, 20 years ago, we started developing much better ways to manage ourselves with great applications and systems that were developed, but we never went the next step. And that's what I thought we could do with OpEx Engine. Well, first of all, congratulations on the acquisition by Bain. That's wonderful news. Congratulations, especially after 15 years of doing this in a bootstrap manner. We won't go too much into detail on that today, though I'd love to pick your brains on that. But you know, you talked about, wow, you were an economist, you were an operating executive, a highly successful kind of early stage B2B software and SaaS companies. But let me ask you a little bit more of a dig down into it. What was your vision for how companies could actually use your benchmarks that you were capturing and calculating? Did you have a vision of how they were going to be used? And then the follow-up to that's going to be, and has that vision, have you seen them used that way or has it, is it a little bit different than you thought? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And, you know, it's evolved over the years, both in terms of my vision of how companies can use, best use the benchmarking to take action to, you know, ultimately to improve and build enterprise value in the company and also how I've seen companies using it. 
I think, you know, first and foremost, just to sort of lay the groundwork, my concept was to build an independent platform and get the critical mass of data that were participating that were willing to contribute financial and operating metrics. And because I'm an operator, I very early on thought that the operating metrics were so key. It's much easier to get financial benchmarks. It's much harder to get good operating metrics. And I think we all in management, we've all had the experience of, you know, you're trying to figure out the budget, you're trying to figure out some specific management decision, and you just desperately want to know what other companies are doing. And in the best of all possible worlds, you go out and you call your 10 or 15 people in your network, or you ask someone that you're working with to go out and call 10 or 15 people in your network, or you go to your investor and say, do you have any information on this? And it's just, you know, anecdotal information. Nobody has a network of 10 people doing the exact same thing at the same stage, even if all your friends out in the industry were doing developing the same products, selling in the same markets, they wouldn't necessarily all be your same size with your same sort of conditions. So it just seemed crazy to me that in this day and age, and this is what I thought 15 years ago and 10 years ago, and I, I think it's now really finally coming to fruition, it's crazy in this digital age to be doing these things manually. So that's what we set out to build. The follow-up to your question was, how do you see companies using that? And specifically, Lauren, you know, are companies using it kind of once a year to set plans, budgets, and operating goals? Or is it more of a continuous ongoing process where they're using their own internal performance metrics against industry benchmarks throughout the year? So it's a great question. And of course, like any you know, application, we have customers who are the full range. We have companies, and often these are the companies that, you know, don't continue benchmarking necessarily because they only use it once, maybe twice in the year. And that's what I would call an informational benchmarker. You know, they're still very focused internally on their numbers, but they needed the data point somewhere or they had one, you know, sort of critical question they had to answer and they put it into a board presentation or did a fundraising or whatever. And then at the other end, I would say the strategic users and the sort of the customers and the people in the market who understand that benchmarking is really a management process. Those are the ones who at a minimum use it every quarter, but we have companies that use it, you know, every week where you obviously, the ways that companies use benchmarking or are benchmarking is in the annual and you know once or twice a year that you do the regular budgeting and planning process. But then throughout the year, every company has different things that they're focusing on. You know, management's concerned the CAC is too high. Well, it's fine to say CAC is too high, but what are the drivers of CAC? It could be sales comp plans. It could be the number of people in sales. It could be the distribution in sales. Like you just have too many expensive salespeople and a not enough inexpensive people supporting them. It could be your you know, funnel and your marketing investments aren't producing the kind of numbers that you want. You know, There's just a myriad, as you know, as an operator, there's a myriad number of issues. And so we find 
the strategic benchmarkers are working with their business partners in the different operating parts of the company and using benchmarks to say, huh, you know, here's the guide rails of sort of what people in the industry are doing. We're way above or we're way below. Because the other thing that people forget about benchmarking is it's not just to identify, you know, problems, inefficiencies, like we're spending 30% more on comp than other companies. It's also to find efficiencies where you're really good at something, like your magic number blows everybody out of the water. And so you could put some more gas on there and you could, you know, raise your growth rate in an efficient way. You could, maybe your R&D productivity is unbelievable. And obviously there's companies with business models where these things stick out, but we find companies all the time are finding hidden gems that they don't really know. So that's just some of the areas that people are using benchmarks. Oh my, there's so many different areas I could take this conversation, Lauren, but let's double click on um, one thing that you said. You have these top level, I'll call them non-departmental or operating metrics, things like rule of 40, CAC payback period, customer lifetime value to CAC ratio, gross and net revenue retention. So I'm sure those are some of the benchmarks that you collect, but when you go to that next level of operating benchmarks, things that maybe the head of sales looks at like close rates or sales cycle time or the head of marketing looks like maybe it's lead conversion rates, maybe it's even the marketing CAC ratio. Very hard to benchmark those operating metrics. So tell me a little bit about, I don't know if it's your secret sauce, but how you can actually provide really good benchmarks to those operating executives. It's a great question. And I think that's sort of been part of our secret to success is that normalizing between companies is really hard. And I think it's really just elbow grease and really caring a lot about getting it right. You know, you have to make sure that, and some of it's just communication. And, you know, I could go on for ages about at a high level about communication. People don't know what they're talking about a lot of times in terms of being really specific I don't, I shouldn't say it like that. Like people don't know what they're talking about. They do know what they're talking about. They know what they mean by it, but they don't know what the person hearing them or the person they're working with means. And that's that whole issue of working with consistent metrics and consistent definitions is something that we are very passionate about because, you know, if you think about it, SAS and a lot of these operating metrics as standard things to talk about, and, you know, the ones that you talked about, CAC payback period and CLT, you know, or LTV to CAC ratio, or, you know, however you call it. Or I had an email this morning asking for a ARR ACV to CAC ratio. And I said, well, ultimately, depending on whether you want to look at you really just looking at a one-year versus a multi-year and the lifetime, it could be the LTV to CAC ratio. That would be the, you know, the long-term value of the customer or the contract to CAC. Or if you just want to look at the ACV for one year, then the CAC payback period will give you that. You can back into it, you know, if it's 16 months, then it's one year is about three quarters of, you know, payoff. So, It's all about how you 
refer to it. There was, you know, as well as I do, for years, people were arguing about whether billings represented ARR in different ways, you know, and I even have been on phone calls with very great people who we give them a retention rate and they say, that's great, but what's the churn? And, you know, it's just part of the value, the management process of benchmarking is we've heard over and over from some of our customers, they've just used it in order to work with their management team to get everyone on the management team to actually think through and agree on what the calculation of each of these metrics is. And that is a huge value proposition. Just Let's that, it's crazy. Yeah, let's talk about that because so many of our listening audience are earlier stage founders, CEOs, CFOs, and then the go-to-market operating executives. But one of the things that we've seen, I'd like to see if you're seeing the same thing and any advice about this, the board, the investors, they want to see after the quarter end, they want to see the deck that shows all these metrics we just talked about. But then here comes the head of marketing into the board meeting. Here comes the head of sales. And often they're showing their dashboards and their metrics that do not have a direct causal relationship with the metrics the CFO and CEO just presented. And to me, that creates a lot of this issue of friction between departments because the head of marketing and head of sales and head of customer success don't co-own the CAC payback period or the CAC ratio. And by the way, they all influence that. Number one, is that a common trend that you're seeing And what advice do you give to CEOs and CFOs to kind of try to eliminate that friction and lack of common goals as early as possible? So I would definitely say, you know, that goes back to that point about sort of strategic versus informational. And the strategic companies that I work with, and, you know, something like 70% of the SaaS companies that have IPO'd over the past 10 years have benchmarked with us. And so we've been completely honored to work with amazing companies that are, you know, establishing the industry, evolving the business models. But all of them tend to have, you know, some things in common. And typically the CFO and the finance organization is the one source of truth. So you have to have that. And those companies tend to invest in that area. So also without even looking at our benchmarks, you can look at public companies The SaaS companies, even at, I was just looking yesterday at some analysis of public SaaS companies in the $500 million range with high growth rates and their G&A was over 15%. You know, that's not the traditional sort of world where at different stages, you're constantly bringing down G&A. And I think a part of that is because those companies are investing in the systems to make the metrics and the information that they have to work from consistent and efficient. It's not so much about, you know, 20 years ago, it's about the workflow. Now it's about integration and consistency. And that's critical. You know, Lauren, it's interesting you said that because we just did a research project with Sage Intech, which is a financial platform really targeted at the SaaS and cloud recurring revenue industries. And what we found was that data integration 
to be able to calculate some of the metrics you and I are now talking about was a big issue because a lot of the data lived in their CRM platform. And I think like 84% said some of their metrics had to come from the CRM. And then the next one was the subscription billing platform. So one of the things I think I hear you saying to our financial leaders out there is maybe over-index and over-invest earlier into that infrastructure where you can collect, normalize, and calculate all these metrics that then makes benchmarking more relevant and appropriate? Absolutely. And, you know, we've done a number of webinars and discussions within our community about, you know, getting from 20 million to 200 million and what investments are needed and what best practices. And if you are a high growth company, I mean, I know from my experience before OpEx Engine, I was responsible for all the revenue and operations for a company we took. And I was part of the original management team of taking a company that we took public. It was very successful, big win, and then eventually was acquired also by Oracle. And we grew so fast and we did not have good systems in place. And once we got over 100 million, it definitely hurt us. And at that point, trying to go back and fix things. And this was, you know, it was understandable because the information that companies had at that point wasn't as good, but you couldn't, you couldn't do it that way in today's world. Does that say with a lot of your customers who are definitely the best of the best when it comes to metrics and benchmarking, right? That's why they use your benchmarks. Do you find that they use a FinOps or financial operations function or do they use a revenue operations function? Who typically is taking the lead on integrating, aggregating, and calculating all these benchmarks for the executives to use to help make decisions? Is there a common organization? So now you're you're wading into that organizational you know argument or discussion about FinOps versus RevOps versus sales ops and you know biz ops. There's variations on it. I'm not going to step into that discussion in terms of what's the right. And it's sort of like benchmarking. You know, I would start with what are your objectives? And I think for any company, the objectives need to be that you have consistent and the most efficient ways of getting the key information. And it's not rocket science what information you need to have about your company. And so you need to put a little effort into making sure that you have, you know, number of customers. You need to have a consistent definition of customers throughout the company so that you can do the calculations. You can't calculate CAC if you can't understand how many customers you have and which ones are new and which ones are, you know, existing customers. But if your CRM has one number and your financial system has another number for customers, and your, you know, billing system or invoicing system has a different set of, you know, numbers, then once you get beyond something that you can manually spend your weekend before the board meeting pulling together and fixing, once you get beyond that point, you must have it automated. And part of that just is an issue of process, which is let's define what our corporate definition of customers is. Sales can continue to have different definitions because sales is going to be driven by sales management, by territory management. You know, you might have one person who owns the corporate head and another couple of people who own different 
and get paid differently on different subsidiaries or different business units, or you might sell into franchises. You know, is McDonald's one customer or is it 5,000? As a company, you have to figure that out, but be consistent about it and then make sure that your corporate numbers fit that. And a great company here in the Boston area, HubSpot, they are wildly successful, I think, partially because they're very numbers driven and they're very analytical. I mean, their management reports, and this goes back to, you know, as well as I do, these arguments about, oh, management reports should have no more than 10 key metrics, you know, or otherwise you lose the forest for the trees or whatever the rationale is. Well, their management reports are like 250 key metrics. I'm making that up. It's something in that range. And one of the best practices that they have, I think, is whether it's the BizOps folks or the FinOps folks, somebody calls a meeting once a year and says, everyone, you know, come to the table. And if we need to change how we calculate certain things, let's talk about it now. We can only change this once a year. And then we're going to live with it for the rest of the year. So the CRM, any changes we make in the CRM have to fit this schema. And any changes we make in the you know, financial system have to fit this schema. The days of sort of Wild West organization here are coming to an end. So what I heard, Lauren, I've heard common language of what the metrics are most important, common data definition, i.e. make sure that all the different systems have common data when you bring it together. Really good insight. And by the way, for our listeners, we recently hosted the EVP of Revenue Operations from HubSpot, Allison Eltworthy. Um, a great listen if you want to hear a little bit about how they take leading responsibility for establishing those metrics and using those, the data flows, the data integration, the common data dictionary, et cetera. But unfortunately, I can't believe it. I knew this was going to happen, Lauren. We're already coming up to the end of our show. But I did, since you've got 15 years of experience and you've seen 70% of the companies who have recently went IPO in this industry have been your clients and used your benchmarks. You talked a little bit about how to get started. What are one or two of the best practices that you've seen companies and how they're using benchmarks that you want to share with their audience? You're like, wow, this company really got it and benefited from it. Yeah, there's lots of great things. I think what I mentioned about HubSpot, you know, whoever it is, pulling everyone together and making sure that they they just have one set of both the metrics definitions and the data definitions. A great CFO, Eric Mersch, who's out on the West Coast, he's now a partner with FLG Partners, but he said recently to me that every time he goes into a new company as CFO, the first thing he does is go to the board and say, we're going to define like same thing, metrics definitions and how they're calculated this first meeting with the board, and then we're not going to talk about it again. So I'm going to present information to the board based on, you know, these definitions. And it's made him so efficient in working with the board. Another great CFO said to me that what he does when he presents, before he presents the new budget for the upcoming year to the board, he sends the budget package and he sends the OPEX engine benchmarks together with it, providing the context for the budget. And he sends it to the board in advance. And then he expects that when he goes into the board meeting, he will get 100% approval so that they can spend the rest of the board meeting talking about strategic things. 
instead of arguing about, you know, well, is this really the right amount we should be spending in sales or marketing or whatever? So those are a couple of things that I've seen that have been, you know, some of the leaders that we've had a chance to work with. I got to tell you how great that insight is, because I don't know how many board meetings I've sat in <laughs> after being with a company for four or eight quarters. And it's like, well, how are you guys defining net dollar, net revenue retention? It's like, we didn't we talk about this for seven quarters in a row now? But I really actually love the idea of showing those benchmarks at the annual budget approval process before, because there's always that, well, why are you spending 40% on sales and marketing or 21% on R&D as a percentage of revenue? That seems too high because it's biased by the previous board meeting or the other exactly. companies that are very different. That's great. Well, we're going to have to wrap up today. So I want to give the audience a chance to get to know Lauren a little bit better. And I do that through these three quick questions. And first of all, you know, is there a CEO or a company that you're following today that you think our audience should really listen to and follow? Yeah, it's a great, great question. I mean, there's so many. That's the fabulous thing about our industry is that there's so many new people coming into it. I'm here in the Boston area. I would call out David Cancel, who's the CEO of Drift. He comes to being a CEO, CEO and being an innovator as a, you know, engineer and a product management person. And I think it's fabulous what he's doing with Drift. And I think they were just bought by Vista Equity. So kudos to, to David and the whole team at Drift. But I think there's some, you know, product management is an area that more CEOs need to come, you know, understand, and especially in this world of PLG, you know, product-led growth and that kind of thing. But also David and the Drift folks have really spoken out about diversity and stood up for diversity. And some of their management practices are, are very impressive and leading edge. And I think anyone who wants to find out more about that and support that should take a look at them. That's a great one. David Cancel at Drift. So the question is, which tool, not your own, of course, do you think every SaaS company should be using? I know that's a tough question, but is there a tool that you think everyone should be using? That is a great question. And maybe what I would suggest is something you're not expecting. And partially because lots of SaaS companies with amazing products and tools are our customers. And I think when you buy you know, everyone needs to buy what's appropriate for them. Another company that is actually a customer, a company called Headspace is a meditation app. And I think everyone should be using it. I think meditation is, is amazing for personal growth, for business growth. It's great for your employees in the crazy world that we're living in. It's, it's fabulous. So I would promote that. It's really interesting <laughs> that you said that because my youngest son's a senior in high school. And we're having to write this letter that's going to be shared at this retreat they're going to. And one of the things I highlighted was that self-directed, he started using Headspace about a year oh, ago wow. at 17 years old. And he said it's changed his life. And wow, just, that's terrific. The reason I mentioned that is I am kind of this type A driver, driver, driver. It's like, yeah, that meditation stuff, right? Not for me. He taught me the value. I started using it and it's changed my life. So that's a great way. Oh, that's born. terrific. Thank you. And, and I'll mention last... that to my son, who is 16, who I've mentioned meditation to, but he hasn't taken it up yet. Well, and that brings us to the last question. Since we both have these 
children kind of getting ready to enter college. If you were talking to someone who's about ready to graduate from college or they just graduated from college and they want to be the next great B2B SaaS or cloud founder, entrepreneur, what advice would you give to them? It's a great question. I think I would encourage them to spend some time and learn the discipline of product management. Because in today's world, product management has evolved a lot from what it was 10 or 20 years ago. And product managers need to be able to, you know, quickly and efficiently understand customer needs and understand the market opportunity. They need to have a good, you know, be able to put together good business cases and be able to, you know, present the the risks and the opportunity and help the management of the company define sort of the resource allocations. And they need to project, you know, have very good project management skills, which is also, I think, important in building a company. And they need to understand engineering and how engineering works. So if you want to be a great B2B SaaS founder, you need to understand all of those different elements. And that's one discipline that people don't typically think about. But I think it's a good one for developing a lot of expertise. That's great advice. Kind of product management as a foundational learning opportunity. And the other thing with the evolution of product-led growth driving revenue, not only from an acquisition, but also from an expansion perspective, they now have revenue responsibilities also. And yeah. if you look at the Cloud 100, which is you know the best summer every year, they say the top 100, 56% of the Cloud 100 are product-led growth companies. So that's great advice. And Lauren, I cannot tell you how much it means to me that you were a guest today. Thank you so much. Oh, that's very sweet. Thank you. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here and happy to continue the conversation. This is great. For our listening audience, right? if you are enjoying the guests and the content we're covering today, like Lauren Kelly from OPEX Engine and now Bain Consulting, I would love to invite you to go ahead and subscribe to the Metrics of Major Up podcast on your favorite podcasting app. Go ahead and give us a thumbs up, you know, give us a five-star ranking if you think it's five-star and even leave your recommendations on how we can make the show even better. Thank you everyone for listening today. And Lauren, thank you again for being our guest here on the Metrics That Measure Up podcast. That's great. Thanks, Ray. Thank you for listening to today's Metrics That Measure Up podcast. If you would like to learn more about B2B SaaS metrics and benchmarks, please visit revopsquared.com.